Corinthians. We're starting a new book and we went through the book of 1 Corinthians and uh, just finished up not, not too long ago. Uh, finished up the book of 1 Corinthians, but we're starting the book of 2 Corinthians and just as a little bit of an introduction. So 1 Corinthians, the tone of, of 1 Corinthians when Paul's writing is much different than in 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, Paul's addressing a lot of issues, and then the second half of the book, he's answering questions that they asked of him. And, and Paul is very direct, and they got a lot of issues that, that, that Paul is telling them. You need to work through these things. There's just a lot of fighting and division. There was open sin that the church was just ignoring, doing nothing about. And Paul's like, get your act together, guys. You need to deal with this as a church. And, and, and so then what we don't have access to but it's alluded to is there was actually even another letter that Paul wrote that was even more direct and severe than first Corinthians it was delivered um, delivered to them and and but yet in second Corinthians now we see Paul's tone is different now there still have some issues and there's actually still a group of people trying to, to uh, cause this uprising and to try to discredit the Apostle Paul and basically because they want people to follow their teaching and their false gospel and their false teaching that they're bringing. So they're trying to discredit him in any way that they can. But in 2 Corinthians, you see the tone is just much different. This is just Paul opening his heart up to the church, showing great love and care for this church. A lot of his personal testimony of what God has done and is doing in his own life. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. That's extremely applicable to us. So let's dive in. Uh, first Corinth or Second Corinthians chapter number one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and to Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in Achaia. So Paul is saying, basically giving his credentials again. He's an apostle because there's people trying to undermine him. And he's pointing out, look, I've been called of God. An apostle is a sent one. And Paul is saying, God has sent me. And then he's also affirming Timothy again. If you remember back a few weeks ago, it was when we just did online only because of the big storm that we were supposed to get that Wednesday night. But when we concluded the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 16, Paul's saying, look, Timothy's going to come to you and I, I, I want you to, to, to treat him with love. He's like, don't, basically, don't scare him off. Don't intimidate him. Which we think because of Timothy, maybe because of his age or just his personality, that, uh, that there was just some insecurity of, about Timothy. But here you see Paul again. He's affirming young Timothy. He's affirming him, saying, just like I'm called, so is Timothy. And he says, we're called uh, by God. And, and, and so he's writing to the church at Corinth, but he's assuming that this letter is going to be read in that region of Achaia. That he's assuming there's other churches in that area that they're also going to be reading this as well. He says, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a very typical greeting of Paul. He's saying, grace and peace be to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God. Even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, <coughs> excuse me, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He's saying God is the God of all comfort. Now, that word comfort is, is much more detailed than how we use the word comfort. 
And he's saying God is the God of all comfort. When we think of comfort, we think of someone that just kind of comes to like console us in a time of need. Well, that's absolutely part of, of, of comfort, but it's much deeper. The word comfort, it's remember when, when Jesus in John 14 is saying, I'm going to go to the Father where I go, you can't come. But he said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. So I'm going to send you a comforter, a paraclete, one who comes alongside to help. And, and, and also the word for um, comforter in Latin. Anybody know some Latin a little bit? Latin, the Latin word is fortis, which is, is giving indication of strength and security. And so when he says God is the God of comfort, it's more than just he comes and consoles us in time of need, though he does that. He's saying that God strengthens you. That just like the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, one who comes alongside to help, that God is coming and, and he's coming with strength. He's coming to help us in time of need. He's saying the God of all comfort. It's also important to point out to see the wonderful harmony and unity in the Trinity. Now, there are some distinct roles that the Father, Son, and Spirit do that are unique. But also what you see is, is their, their, their unity many times. Because the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. In 1 John, Jesus, God the Son, comforts us. But he's saying God the Father, he's the God of all comfort. He's the God of all comfort. Man, what a, what a promise that is, amen? The song that, that we sang about we can build our life upon God, it is a sure foundation. Why? Because God, he is a God of comfort. He comes alongside of us. He is the, the one that helps us and strengthens us. And Paul says, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Verse 4, who comforteth us, who comes alongside us, who helps strengthen us in what? In all our tribulation, all our trials, all our difficulties, that he comforts us in those tribulations. He says, why? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So he's saying one of the reasons that we go through suffering, that we go through tribulation, and it's not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons that we go through difficult times, that we go through tribulation, that we go through hard times is so that we can receive that comfort and strength from God and that we ourselves can then comfort others, that we can encourage others, that we, by our faith, can help strengthen others who are going through those difficult times. Now, again, there's many reasons we see in Scripture why they're suffering. And, and we've actually listed many before and tried to talk through all of those. The Scripture does give an adequate answer for the problem of, of pain and suffering in this world. This isn't the only reason, but this is one reason. Sometimes we go through tribulations. Sometimes we go through difficult times. To be able to then receive the help, receive the comfort that God gives us. To then offer that same comfort and hope and help and strength to others in need. 
I don't know how many times I personally have seen this in my life. Where I've seen a brother or sister in Christ here at our, our church go through a difficult time. Go through a, a trying time. Go through a time where you've lost a loved one. Go through a time where you've got horrible news about your health. Go through a time where you've suffered great, tremendous loss. And yet to, to, to gather with you on a Sunday and to see you singing praises to God fervently. To see you gathered and yes, there's hurt and yes, there's pain. But you have the joy of God even in the middle of that pain. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in our connection group. And not just the one that I lead, but many times I try to come to other ones and sit in in some of those and just come, not to lead them, but just to pray with our church and just to be there and to, and, and, and to, to study the word. And I can't tell you how many times sitting in those groups that my heart, even in the midst of my pain and tribulation and hard, difficult times, yet my faith was strengthened, fortis. My heart was helped and comforted. By seeing many of you and hearing many of you talk about the difficulties that you are facing. And they're very real. And they're very painful. We're not making light of any of those things. But yet to see the strength that God's given you. To see the comfort that God has given you. To see how the, the, in the midst of those difficult trying tribulations that your faith has not been shattered. Your faith has been strengthened. And I can't tell you how many times. That has given me comfort. That has given me strength. And maybe what you're going through right now, God is allowing you to go through that. And God is going to comfort you. God is going to strengthen you. God is going to help you, not by taking you out of that pain, not by taking you out of that tribulation, but by helping you and strengthening you in that. And it may be part of that reason is so that you, can be an encouragement and a comfort and a testimony to others. In this context, it seems like he's talking about with other believers. But I think also a great application is knowing this, that those people in our life who don't know the Lord, they're watching. They're watching. And it doesn't mean that we have to be like fake and phony and act like we don't hurt. But when people see that we go through difficult times and know and see that our faith is strengthened and see that our faith in God has not been shattered, what a powerful testimony that that is. And it could be right now that God is using your pain. It could be that God is using your hurt. It could be that God is using all these difficulties in your life now that you don't choose and want to go through. But God is allowing you to go through that so you can be strengthened and comforted and helped. And so that you can then help other believers who are going through that. And that through your testimony can be a light to those who don't know the Lord. And maybe God's going to use that to bring other people to a saving faith in him. But God uses our tribulation to be able to comfort others. And by the way, that means we have to receive that comfort and help and strength. Sometimes we can go through life with this mentality of like, like I can't, I can't have help. It's, it's a weakness. It's a weakness if I need help. It's a weakness if I need others to be, to, to come alongside me and help me and encourage me. But the reality is this, that God uses people in our life to help encourage us and strengthen us. And maybe for you, you just need to, to, to be humble enough to receive that 
and recognize there's not, it's no, there's no shame and no, no weakness in receiving that help. That God uses other people to help us. And that's why I, I encourage you to be connected with the church family. Coming on Sundays is wonderful, but, but make sure it's more than that. Make sure you have friends and have true, meaningful relationships within the body. Why? Because many times God uses us to encourage and strengthen and equip one another. And there's times we ourselves need to receive that. That we ourselves need to be comforted, to be strengthened. I think about uh, Brandon Harvey's message uh, last week and how this just ties in so well where he talked about that, that many times God brings those trials in our life and bring those difficulties, even though 2020 and 2021 was such a difficult year for so many, but, but yet that God uses those things for us to then be able to encourage others, to, to offer hope and help and strength to others. And God's word is always sufficient, but God's word along with us who have maybe gone through something that someone else is going through can be a tremendous comfort and help and blessing to be able to speak to those who are going through what we have gone through or what maybe even we're going through. And God uses those, those tribulations by bring, he brings comfort and hope and help and strength. Why? He says, so that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Such is the case. Maybe you've heard the name Ann Wilson. Ann Wilson wrote the song, My Jesus. A few weeks ago at our, our children's Christmas program, they sang that song and it was beautiful, beautiful. As our kids sang that and how powerful that that was. But Ann Wilson wrote that song in the middle of great pain and suffering. Ann Wilson lost her older brother who died tragically in a car accident. And Ann's testimony is this, and you can watch this later on YouTube. I encourage you to watch it. I'll warn you, you better have a box of tissue close by because it it, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. But Ann Wilson talked about how that, that, that tremendous loss, that, that, that tragedy in her life, that she knew that God, she felt God was speaking so clearly saying, are you going to trust me in this? And Anne, in the midst of tremendous heartache and pain, where there was sadness and there was just devastation. And she said a feeling of hopelessness and helplessness. But yet she said that she found her hope in God. And Anne Wilson wrote that beautiful song, Let Me Tell You About My Jesus, that millions of people now listen to and are encouraged and helped and comforted. Why? Because Anne received that comfort and help and strength from God. And now God is using her to help and strengthen those who are going through tribulation, where she can relate and speak to those who have suffered tremendous loss. And some of you who know what it's like to lose a child, you know what it's like to have miscarriages. You know what it's like to lose a parent at a young age. You know what it's like to, to have just a life filled with a lot of adversity and pain. And it could be that God has allowed you to go through that. And God is going to use what you've gone through to be able to comfort and help those who are going through that same thing. He says the God of all comfort, he comforts us. 
He strengthens us. He comes alongside us. Why? So that we can be a comfort to those who are in any trouble. Verse number five says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so also, so also, or so shall ye also be, or also of the consolation. So he's saying this, look, and, and, and Paul knew, knew so much about suffering. He's saying that those sufferings of Christ abound in us. We'll look at it later as we get further on in 2 Corinthians. But, but Paul lays out in chapter 11 about all these things that he went through. All of these sufferings. I mean, Paul was, had gone through so much just physical pain. When Paul would, would, would travel and he would, he would preach, many times there would be riots that would break out. And so Paul would, would get beat up many times, thrown out of the city. And, and he went through all these sufferings. He talks about how he was shipwrecked and he was deserted. He knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was uh, to be without proper warm clothing. He knew what it was like to feel abandoned. He knew what it was like to feel pain. And, and, and Paul's saying later on, he says, look, these are the sufferings of Christ. He's like, but yet when I share in those sufferings, I also share in the consolation. He says that abounds through Christ. He knew those sufferings. They weren't distant. They weren't, they weren't um, unusual for, for Paul. But he said, at one point, he said, I'm going to take joy in these infirmities. Why? Because I know these sufferings, but I'm also sharing in the power of Christ, that strength. That Christ gives. So we see that it's that this, this hope or this help that we find in Christ, it's effective for enduring. When we endure these things that God teaches, not another word we see in the, the scripture is patience. Many times these things that we go through that produces this endurance and this patience that comes from God. Verse 80 says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. He said that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, in so much that we despaired even of life. Notice this wording. He says that we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raised the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Paul's saying what he went through in Asia, and we don't know exactly what he went through. It could have been a number of different things, right? Some of the things that we mentioned. Also, Paul had, had people that just seemed like they were always antagonizing him. And, and in, there's these false teachers that would rise up, and they would try to discredit him. Well, we don't know exactly what this trouble was that Paul is talking about. He doesn't specifically mention it, but there's a lot of things that it could be. 
He talks about at the end of chapter 16, like or in chapter 15 and 16, about battling with the beasts at Ephesus. There was just a lot of turmoil and fighting and, again, false teachers and then people trying to beat them up and kill them. And, and he went through tremendous pain, imprisonment, and suffering. And Paul's saying there was something that happened here at Asia. He said it was, he was at the point... He said he was at the point he despaired even of life. In other words, he thought this one was going to do him in. He thought he was done. He said the sentence of, we have the sentence of death in ourselves. In other words, he said he felt helpless. He was helpless, but not hopeless. Because he said this, whatever it was that specifically he was referring to, he says this trouble caused him to turn to God alone. See, sometimes we go through tribulation and, and the purpose is that God's going to use it to help others. That God's going to use that for us to be a, a strength and help to others' faith. Sometimes God allows that trouble and heart, heartache and suffering and tribulation. It's for us to recognize and put all of our dependence upon God. Have you been through those situations? Are you in one now? Where it's, it's just like literally you have, you've exhausted every resource that you have and, and you feel absolutely helpless. But know this, you're not hopeless. That God may have brought that into your life for no other reason. And many times it's multiple reasons, right? But it may be for no other reason than for us to put our dependence upon God. He's saying, look, my hope is this. It's in God who raised the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. So it seems like what he's saying is this. God may not even in this life take away this heartache and pain and tribulation. That it could be. It could be that God is allow these things for me to just put my dependence completely upon him and to remind me this world isn't my home, to remind me that, you know what, that may not come, the answer may not be what I want and when I want, and he may not deliver me in the physical sense here and now, but he said, my confidence is in God who raised the dead. And he's going to deliver me. And yes, he had confidence that God would in the present deliver him. But it seems like what he's saying is it may not be how I want it to be. But he's saying there's so much more that's yet to come. I know I'm kind of getting ahead of ourselves. We'll be there in a few weeks. But in chapter 4, Paul says this, that, that the, the affliction we face in this life, he says it's, it's a light affliction. And he says it's because it's just for a moment. But he's saying the glory of God unfolding and working in our life is it, it, it far outweighs and it far exceeds the pain that I'm going through now. He's saying that, that what we go through in this life is a light affliction. Now, as we're going to read further on, as Paul lists, again, as I mentioned in chapter 11, all of these shipwrecks and beatings and pain and suffering and, and imprisonments. The abandonment, all of these things, we think, man, that's anything but a light affliction. But Paul had a perspective, the, an eternal perspective, and said, it's a light affliction because it's only for a moment. 
And here it seems like that's what he's saying. My confidence is in God. He will yet deliver us. So maybe he's going to deliver him out of the situation. Or maybe his hope is just knowing that what happens here and now, this isn't, this isn't it. That we as Christians can live with courage and boldness. Even in the midst of adversity, we can have the joy of God in our heart and life, even through pain and suffering. Why? Well, because we know God has a purpose in all of it. We know God's unfolding all of his beautiful plan for his glory. But yet Paul's saying, look, that my confidence is in the one who, who raised the dead. The one who he himself resurrected from the dead. And sometimes what we're going through, and maybe for you, and I don't say that God can't or won't, answer your prayer of of maybe getting you out of a situation right now that you're in pray for that pursue that but recognize maybe the answer isn't healing here in this life maybe the person that you prayed and prayed and prayed for that god would heal maybe god will maybe he won't maybe it'll be the ultimate healing what i'm simply saying is this when we look at scripture and we look at all of scripture, it has a sufficient answer for suffering and evil in this world. But many times it's not just a one answer. It could be many things. Or it could just be that God's, God's reminding us. God's reminding us that our hope isn't just here in this short life. That, that what we go through here, it's a light affliction. Why? Because it's but. For a moment. We'll talk about that more in chapter 4. Let's keep going. He says, Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. So he's saying, look, by your intercessory prayer, you are helping. That your prayer is, is meaning far more than you may even realize. Paul was was reminding them the power of intercessory prayer and how that that was so important and so effective in our prayers for ourselves, yes, but our prayers for other believers. It's powerful. It's necessary. It's important. And it's important that we share that with other believers to be able to pray with us, to pray for us, and for us to be able to pray for others. Verse 12, he says, For our rejoicing is this, that the testimony of your conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you, word. For we write none other things unto you than what ye read or acknowledge. And I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end. So these next few verses, and, and we're going to get through all of chapter 1. But we're actually almost concluded. But then next week as we start chapter 2, we'll kind of allude back to that. Because it's kind of the same thought into chapter 2. So here's what's happening, right? Paul is facing some opposition. There's some good things happening in Corinth. In fact, he gets some good news. He gets good news that they're actually like shaping up. That they're getting their act together in some areas. But... There's still some issues going on. And one of the issues going on is this group trying to undermine him. And really, they're trying to under, undermine him because they think if they can undermine Paul and his character, that it can undermine the things he's teaching. 
These are false teachers, and, and false teachers always have been and still are today. They're very crafty, right? And they don't come out right away with just this blatant false doctrine. Now, sometimes they do, but many times it's more subtle. So what's happening is there's those that are trying to undermine them, and then there's those who are becoming a little bit skeptical. And what Paul's saying is this, look, I'm speaking plainly to you. I'm not, I don't have this ulterior motive. I'm not trying to, to speak out of both sides of my mouth. He said, what I'm, I'm saying is I'm doing it. Look, I have a clear conscience. He said that in simplicity and godly sincerity, he's saying that I'm, I'm writing unto you none other things than what you read. In other words, he's like, I don't have this secret ulterior motive or message. He's like, I, I, I'm just writing plainly and clearly to you. He says, this is the confidence that I have minded to come to you before that you might have a second benefit and to pass by you into Macedonia and to come again out of Macedonia unto you and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. He says, when I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness? He's like, I'm not just, just speaking flippantly when I'm telling you stuff. But they're trying to undermine him by saying he's flaky. Because he said he was going to come to them um, twice. I'm going to come to you on the way to Macedonia and then come to you again. But he's like, look, they hadn't made things right yet. And so he said, and later on he'll expound more. He's like, I didn't want to come again the second time like I told you. Because you weren't ready. He's like, in other words, it wouldn't have been pretty. It wouldn't have been a good conversation. <laughs> So he's saying, that's the reason I didn't come again. Like, I wanted you to have some space to kind of work these things out. He's like, because if I came again, it wouldn't, it probably wouldn't have gone very well. It would have, if it would have maybe severed our relationship. And so he said, that was the reason that he didn't come. But he's saying, you're, they're accusing him of being flaky. He said, I didn't use lightness. Verse 18, but as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. In other words, it wasn't this yes and no and flighty and flaky. He wasn't being, he wasn't being um, dishonest about what he was saying. He says, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and, and Timotheus, it was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. He's saying, look, what we preach to you, we're preaching clearly, we're preaching confidently. My message isn't... My message isn't shifty. My message isn't flip-flopping. My message is clear. But what was happening is they were trying to undermine him. And, and they were like, it's, some of you may have kids like this. You tell them something like a time. Like, so my five-year-old Carly right now is obsessed with wanting to know how many minutes to wherever we're going. How many minutes? How many minutes? And then, like, you notice with kids when you tell them, they hold you to the minute or to the second. These guys are acting like kids. Paul's saying, yes, I, I told you this was my plan. He's like, but I had a good reason for why it changed. It wasn't like I was being flighty and flaky. He's like, this was my intention, but God had something else. And he's saying, my, my motive was not that I was, that I was being insincere. It wasn't that I was being untrustworthy. He's saying, look, I knew it wasn't the right timing. My motive was pure. My intention is pure. Well, these guys are acting like, like kids. Like, well, you said this. Well, yes. But remember in chapter 16, when he's making these plans, he's saying like, you know, if the Lord will, this is my intention. This is my plan. 
But sometimes things change. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be you know, a little more careful when we tell someone something. But some, look, sometimes things change. Well, these guys were acting like kids and trying to undermine them. Saying, oh, well, your word is yes and no. And you know, you never really know with you, Paul. And Paul's saying, no. My message to you has been, been consistent. The, the, what I'm preaching of Christ, it is powerful. It's consistent. It's consistent. And he's saying, you, you're trying to dis, some of these people are trying to discredit him, causing doubt in people's minds. So Paul's explaining, Paul's explaining, look, I'm not flaky. Here's the reason why. We'll look at that more in chapter 2. But he says for Verse 20, for all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. So he's saying, look, even if you think that I'm not trustworthy, he's like, which he is trustworthy, but even if, even if, if you're thinking that I'm not, don't think for a second the message I'm preaching, that, that the promises we have in God are wishy-washy. He's saying they are yes and amen and so be it that when God makes a promise, it is as good as it has already happened. Why? Because we see all through scripture, God keeps his word. God fulfills his, his promises. And during the Christmas time, we talked about some of those prophecies. And we look in scripture and we see that God's promises are yes and amen. That when God speaks something, when God promises something, it is sure. It is a sure foundation that we can build our life upon. It is without question. It will happen. And Paul's saying all the promises of God, they are yes and amen, that we can have confidence in God, that God keeps his word. God keeps his promises. How can we find rest and comfort and hope and help when we go through tribulation? Because we know we have a God that keeps his word. We have a God who's going to comfort us, who's going to come alongside us, who's going to help us, who's going to fortis, who's going to strengthen us. Paul's saying all the promises of God are yes and amen. You might think that I'm wishy-washy. I'm not. I had a good reason for why I didn't come again. But he said, don't for one second try to undermine the promises of God. All his promises are yes and amen. It is he which establishes us with you in Christ and hath anointed us in God who hath also sealed us and given the earnest or the down payment of the spirit in our hearts. He's saying you can have confidence in God and one of, that, one of the reasons you can have confidence is because the spirit of God, the paraclete, one who comes alongside to help, he has sealed you. We see this other language in places like Ephesians about the spirit of God sealing us. What gives us confidence of, as believers in his promises? The, well, because we've seen his faithfulness. What else gives us confidence in the promises of God? For a future inheritance, amen, one day. What gives us that hope of that? Well, the Holy Spirit of God in us who has transformed our heart and life. And is active working now in the present. And we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. That seal means a protection. That seal means an authentication. When someone would have a seal, a stamp or a seal from a king or someone high up in authority. What it was was showing authentication. They're mine. I, this has been verified by me. They have my seal. They have my guarantee. They have my protection. And Paul is saying that the, through the spirit of God in us as believers, that is our authentication. 
That is our confidence of a future glory. That all the promises of God, they're yes and amen. Why? We've seen them fulfilled. And the ones that are yet to come, we have confidence. All his promises are yes and amen. Why? Because God has established us. The Spirit of God has sealed us. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth. Not for that we have dominion over your faith. He's like, I'm not trying to be this Lord over you and I'm not trying to be this micromanager and controlling you, but look, we're helpers of your joy. For by faith you stand. He's saying, look, I, yes, I'm an apostle. Yes, I'm called by God, but I'm not here to micromanage you. I'm not here to control you. You have God, you have his spirit that's established you. And again, he's alluding to like, look, the, the reason I didn't come was to spare you. It wouldn't have been a good idea. We'll unpack that a little more as we start chapter two next week. But so much application in chapter number one. And I think it's gonna be great discussion for us as we start our groups back up this week. And hopefully you can come uh, to one of those. But so much, so much uh, powerful application for us. That we can find our comfort in God. And through that comfort and help and strength. It's not to be selfish with it. But it's to help and encourage and comfort those around us. And so, so today you might be in here. And you're probably one of two people. You're here. Either to offer that hope and help and encouragement. To someone else. Or you're here because you need to receive it. And many times as I mentioned you know what it's both. It's both. As we're comforted, as we're helped, and as, as our faith is strengthened by what God does in someone else, we then can help encourage and strengthen other believers who are going through difficult times. Paul's saying, look, God's promises are, are sure. That, that all his promises, when God says something, they are yes and amen. So be it. You can have confidence. Why? Because God's established you. The Spirit of God has sealed you. Man, we have, a, we, have, we have many reasons today to rejoice, to be thankful for God's moving and working in our life. And again, that's not to say that we have to be fake and phony and act like we never have problems. But in the midst of those problems, and even times of maybe great heaviness and sadness, we can still have joy in our heart of knowing all of God's promises are true. And knowing that God has sealed us in God comforts us he strengthens us he comes alongside to help us so that we can then help those that god puts in our path Let's